You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education and today I'll be in conversation with Drew Vernon, Marketing Director at Tony's. Drew is making learning fun and exciting through storytelling, empowering children to use their imagination. Today we're chatting with Drew about early years education, importance of storytelling, hands-on learning in the early years, and so much more. Welcome, Drew. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Heather. It's wonderful you could join us today and especially talk about a subject which, as a mum, as a trained teacher, and someone's working with education toys for a long time, about play and learning, or as we like to say here, is learning through play. Now, Drew, can I ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them about your passion for hands-on learning? Sure thing. Uh, Yeah, so I... um... Went to school for marketing. Uh, I'm a marketer, but uh, somewhere along the way, I, you know, I started out uh, marketing beauty products and then made the transition over to work for Lego, which was kind of like a childhood dream for me. And uh, as I was working at Lego, I really started to see the impact of play in, in children's lives. And I, I really became an advocate for improving the childhood experience. Uh, I went on to create my own daycare. Uh, and now I'm working for Tony's, which is this amazing uh, screen-free speaker box for kids uh, that really promotes uh, learning and storytelling. That's amazing. So you got to work for Lego, then create your own daycare so you could actually see how all the brand, how it all worked, like with the children's mind, with open-ended play, which, you know, Lego is quite famous for, to a degree, being the blocks and the bricks and putting them together. So that's, that's an amazing feat straight away. Um, is that because you had many children that you had to put into or you decided to start a daycare? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have three kids. Um, it wasn't why I started it. Um, so I'm kind of like an entrepreneurial uh, spirit. And so when I really developed a passion for uh, young kids, you know, I was managing the preschool business for Lego. Uh, I saw an opportunity to, to start my own drop-in center. And, you know, I, I saw kids coming in uh, from all different types of backgrounds. Uh, we had, you know, foster kids, we had kids with, you know, highly affluent, um, we had just all shapes and sizes. And that's really uh, developed a lot of my thinking as I uh, continue on in the space. So all learning abilities really from um, high, high, so high functioning to low functioning. Did you have low functioning children and high functioning when it comes to learning abilities? Or I suppose, what were the age groups that you were developing? Well, we were a drop-in center, so parents who wanted to go on a date or or go grocery shopping or or whatever could just come and drop their kids uh, off for an hour or two, and, you know, we were fully licensed. So we didn't have the the burden of having, you know, a full kind of educational experience, but you did see kids coming in with different backgrounds and different uh, abilities, Uh, and so I I did gain some insight in that regard. Drew, what is your favorite part of working with toy brands? As you said, you went from beauty to toy what's the appeal? I think the appeal is that I've come to believe that we truly can improve the childhood experience and we can give our kids better tools to not just learn better things, but learn how to learn better. Uh, And a lot of that is done through storytelling. Uh, Every good story uh, has a hero who overcomes a challenge to get to a reward. 
And that's what I try to teach my kids. And, and, and through that process, they can become more creative. And the more that we can promote that through tools like the Tony Box, the better it is in my book. Drew, you absolutely beat me to the next question I was going to ask. I was going to say to you, as Tony's is all about storytelling, I'd love to hear how we can use the power of storytelling to empower our children to be creators, authors, and performers. So can you add to what you've just mentioned? Yeah, um, sorry, I probably jumped the gun. Now, I, I, I do want to explain a little bit about the Tony Box because it, it relates in how uh, we give our, child, uh, our children stories and how they can learn to write their own stories. Absolutely. So, yeah, we've got the content Tonys. They're these little figures. You put them on the box. They'll play whatever they're programmed to play. You know, we've got Peter Rabbit. We've got the Julie Donaldson figures. We're coming out with more and more all of the time. And these are the stories that, you know, I boil down to. Originally, it comes from Joseph Campbell's The, the Hero's Journey. There are many more points to it than what I boil it down to. But I've learned at the young preschool ages, it's a hero who overcomes an obstacle to get to a reward. And when you give your child enough of those stories and points of context, then they learn how to become their own hero. And they learn how to overcome their own challenges. And we do that really well, uh, again, with Tony Box, because uh, we have creative Tonys and they are not pre-programmed. They actually come blank uh, with uh, up to 90 minutes of your own content. So uh, as I mentioned, you, you teach your child the, the process of storytelling, whether it's a proper story or just a, a song or a poem or whatever they want to create. And you teach them how to become authors to, to get them to an active creative experience. Oh, that's amazing. So they're literally like we're doing a podcast right now. They can create their own podcast or they can create their own, I don't know, story or performance or anything like that book. And they, we can, with the blank, Tony, that sounds amazing. So they're being very creative, their imagination, cognitive development. There's so many skills that they're developing. How do you see that children use these as they grow up? That's one of my favorite things about the Creative Tony is, is that it's a medium. And so I, as a marketer, anybody can tell you to use it in a certain way, but that's really only one way. So, you know, like I said, you can write your own songs and stories, but I found that, you know, we have, you know, an active community of, of people who are using them in a variety of different ways. I've actually done treasure hunts uh, with my kids where every Tony you put on the box, it'll tell you what the next clue is. It'll <laughs> help you find the next Tony. And, and so you can do treasure hunts. You can do pen pal programs where, you know, you're communicating with, with, uh, with a friend, you know, down the street or across the world with these messages and you're doing it without the internet and without screens. It's a very safe way. We find that grandparents love to read bedtime stories uh, and special messages to their grandkids, and they can upload those from anywhere in the world and, and have a new message for their grandchild uh, every day when they wake up. So just so many different ways that, that helps drive connection and helps drive creativity uh, among young kids. Oh, do you know what? As living as an expat for as long as I have, that's such an amazing thing to have the grandparents to be able to hear their voices. I've got one of my little boys likes video calling the other one can't stand it so that would work really well for my little one <laughs> we used to have these books which is they used to pre-record Winnie the Pooh and they used to open them up and read to them <laughs> so I think that's probably uh -huh. yours is Tony's is much more complex but simplified too than something like that so that's an amazing thing especially in the last 12 months when we've all had well, I don't know you're obviously in the USA so we've had school closures as well and all these different things so we've, that would have been an amazing thing, I suppose, for my, my little boys to have to a degree as well. So, wow, I like the sound of the Tony's The Blank Box where they're using it as a medium. 
But listen, you know, we look at a lot of research. So research shows at the moment that, you know, a modern child due to whether it can be due to screen times or, uh, you know, that they find they're finding it hard to generate ideas for independent writing and storytelling. So how can you support this for children? Uh, supporting ideation for, yeah, for like storytelling. Mentioning like canvas ideas and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so I, you know, I use an analogy from Lego since I, I worked at Lego and, and I saw, you know, most of what we sold was either a, a box of bricks that had, you know, a, an instruction book. So you, you want to build a spaceship or a castle or whatever, and you uh, give them step one to a hundred and, and you have a very nice build at the end. And then you have just kind of like the bucket of bricks. If you dump out a bucket and you tell a child to go build, they might make a little tiny airplane or a little tiny house or something. But the vast majority of kids I would see would would do that and they wouldn't improve. They wouldn't get any better. And so I, I see a need for bridging that gap between a highly structured experience and, and a white canvas experience. And, and I think that's best done by giving creative prompts and, and by setting boundaries. Um, so to bring back an example to the Tony box, you know, if you tell a child to, to go write a song or a story uh, and record on the Tony, they m- might go do that. But if they're like my kids, they're going to go play around and, and make a, uh, some goofy noises and they're going to come back in five minutes and they're going to say they're done. Well, I did that. I did this one day with my kids and I said, I want you to go write a poem about worms and I want it to have at least four verses and it needs to rhyme. And so that was my boundary for them. And they went off excited. And, you know, 45 minutes later, they came back, poem about worms, four verses, and it rhymed. And they still had the, the ability to be creative within those boundaries, but they were given a task that, that wasn't too prescriptive, but gave them guidance um, to help with the creative process. And so I'm a huge proponent of, of giving those boundaries and then and getting out of the child's way and allowing them to be creative within restraints kind of the student-centered learning which is i suppose you know what we can talk about next is you know in the usa are the current trends play-based learning or is it very structured learning you know i think there's a role for for both i uh am not an academic so i don't uh follow closely the the research between structured and unstructured um i i think there's probably a time and a place for both what what i'm most interested in is progress and and the removal of structure as a means of promoting independence in a child. So you start in a very structured way and then you remove pieces to the puzzle to allow children to fill those in with their own creative mind. Do I have to ask, do you like a task and then you create your own, you are able to fulfill it or do you like more structure as as an adult in marketing? I will say uh, in my career, I've done a lot of things that are very kind of pie in the sky. And sometimes I have ideas that may or may not be reasonable or may or may not be something that you can ex- execute. But I like to start with the vision. I like to, to imagine what doesn't exist, but what could be. And then it's a, a, it's a matter of uh, pulling that vision into reality. And you have to do that in a very arduous, tactile way. And sometimes I, I succeed more than other times, but I think that's where I start is what's the end state that I want to achieve and, and what are the steps to get me there? That's amazing. That's exactly what we want our children to do, which is what you're doing with the prompt. So, you know, I think I probably work better with less structure and the same with a vision of maybe, I think sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work, but we've always, I've always learned a lot from any, I wouldn't call it a failure, but less than a success. 
So, which is always a great way to learn. Um, look, over the past 12 months, have you found parents and care, like parents, caregivers, teachers are looking for more screen-free options in toys to foster children's creativity? Yeah, I mean, um, I I don't know how many people I had talked to before I, I you know, decided it was universal, but it's, it's a universal uh, pain point right now. You know, before COVID, you know, most academic groups and, you know, parenting, you know, institutions would say no more than an hour of screen tape per day and no screen time for kids under two. Yeah. Well, that kind of all went out the window with COVID. <laughs> you know, we're working from home. Our childcare, you know, yeah. yeah, learning from home, our childcare um, <laughs> solutions were disrupted. And the guilt that I used to feel as a parent, like slowly kind of faded away, or I just got like, I justified myself. Uh, and I think that's where we're at right now, where screen time has gotten out of control, not just as a babysitter, but as a learning tool. And I think that we're going to find, we're, we're, we are seeing, you know, detriments to that. I just went to an educators conference and it was heartbreaking how they described their students as they, as, you know, behavior deficient, attention deficient, you know, acting up in class and, and it's all tied to too much screen time. And I find it very concerning as, as a parent. It was really hard. I don't know about with, um, you know, you know, as a dad and I'm also had a mom and I had children learning from home, but I had one, we've had three lockdowns over here, which has been three different terms that we've been working from home with one of them. So, and they got sort of, they were really unstructured. And actually my son did really well with a really unstructured, here's the work, go out and do it yourself. He did need a little bit of hand-holding at times and prompts as you call it. However, by the third lockdown, they actually had him on sort of like structured learning for seven hours a day. Oh, wow, he's 10. I, I can tell you right now, it, he did wouldn't have done his best. He could mm. not, he didn't find it. He found it really difficult, really hard. Yeah. And um, we end up getting things like a fit ball. Uh, he ends up having like a push up, like a, a pull up bar, anything to keep him moving during the day. And I'd have to, you know, pull him out of the class because you could just see it just wasn't worth it. He wasn't learning anything anymore. Mm. He was to just off the wall when it came to the screens. But, you know, I, I suppose so my own experience during this you know, pandemic, during COVID, during the last 12 months of you know, home learning, not home learning, having them home, not having them home, having a bubble broken. And, you know, I don't know if you have all the same terminology in the USA, but what's been happening, but it has been really difficult with the, and trying to remove the screens. But one thing I suppose is that what we've done is we've given more screen time, but used it in a different way. I suppose we're using mm -hmm. it in a different way now. We sort of at the start, we're sort of all trying to work from home and throwing the screen. And so we've had to pull back. And I suppose you're probably done this with your children as well you've got to sort of figure out how they use it and when they use it and what's classified as screen time and what's not because then you've got oh well I have to do home learning but I want to play this game or I have to do this um, but then that was their social hour too so for my older child that was how he socialized with his friends for a term which becomes quite difficult as well so you know I suppose the other thing is you know why do you believe that removing the screen is critical to children's creative process like the development process so i i haven't gone as far to say that i believe kids should not have screens you know my kids have screens uh they have entertainment screen time they have education screen time i i am not here to make a blanket statement but i will say i do notice a difference in my children's behavior when they're on screens too long yeah. and the more i think about it and talk about it with with uh individuals is when you give a child a screen 
you're giving them the entire picture. You're, you're literally giving them the picture, the, the visualized version of whatever content you're giving them. Even if it's educational, you're showing them how it comes to life. And when you remove that, you put that creative burden upon the child, where if they are hearing a story, then they still need to concoct that in their mind. They still need to put a visualization together, which is a creative muscle, which helps them become better thinkers and better thinkers turn into better problem solvers. And so I think that by removing the screen, we enable that. And so dedicated deliberate time to give your children stories in an, an audio first way, in a screen-free way, I believe is critical in their development. Absolutely. I have to agree with that. Kind of like open-ended play as you talk when you give them, rather than giving them, like you're giving them bricks or you give them blocks or you give them pebbles, you give them something to play with. They create their own game. They pattern. They they do everything. They, they learn colors, shapes, you know, all these perimeter numbers. I mean, they learn early maths and everything. So I have to agree with you. I think that's in the... That is definitely that's one of the best ways I've heard it explained. But I suppose as a dad, how have you found learning in the pandemic? Not for you learning, but I mean like home learning in the pandemic for your children. You know, I had an interesting experience. It was in the winter. I was, um, we had this little wetlands area uh, behind my house and it was frozen over. And there was a moment uh, my eight-year-old son uh, had some friends come over and he was starting to to go out and walk on the ice. And and my gut reaction was to stop him from doing that because, you know, we hadn't allowed him oh, out like there. <laughs> you know, we told him, yeah, to, to not go out there. And his friends were kind of like getting him to come across. And so, you know, I went and tested it out and made sure it was like hard enough. It was like solid frozen. I was like, you know what? I think this is a learning experience. Like he noticed how like the, the ice felt under his shoes and he was sliding around and he was, you know, pulling at uh, trees and things like that. And he's, he, he spent the time out there playing, but it was just a very tactile like experience for him where he had kind of been cooped up with remote learning. And, and I just thought to myself, you know, I would never have even like thought for him that this was a learning experience until I had been like deprived of it um, sitting, you know, in front of a screen all day. No, it's one of the best learning experiences. Kids, it's risky play. They learn the risks of their play and sometimes they take it too far and most times they learn from it, you hope, and then you've got sensory, tactile and messy. They learn, you know, they do learn a lot from just little experiences like that. But did you have three learning from home, screens, not screens? You know, how can we better support our children if we ever go into this again? Let's hope we don't. Yeah, I think that's a tough question. You know, I would, uh, I how think would it you really comes dad, rather than a whole system. How would you as a dad? <laughs> how would I rather than uh, a whole system? <laughs> well, it's easy for me to say, I do this, I do this, I do this. I've had spurts of when I've done this and, and spurts of when I've just been too busy. Um, but, you know, I started, you know, just I picked a language for each of my kids and I said, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to either teach this or learn this language together with my kids. And so I bought a couple of books off of Amazon. And um, so I'm, I'm learning a different language with each of my kids um, just by sitting down on the couch with them and going through the workbook together. So I don't know if it's a, a perfect solution. Like I said, I, I could be more reliable in this, but I think it's one way that I've tried to kind of remove screens and I do it by taking like an active role and sitting with them and, and picking, you know, something to study and doing it together. So it's bonding, it's coming together and learning together. Now, are you a linguist? Can have a, Are you actually a linguist? Can you learn languages easy? 
I took Spanish in uh, high school and college, and then I went and lived in Japan for two years. So I I, uh, I learned to speak Japanese, and now I work for a German company. So those are the, my three <laughs> languages. My my oldest daughter, um, she's eleven. Uh, we're learning Spanish. My middle son, uh, Japanese, and my youngest daughter, uh, German. So you've got a little bit of a you you know know a little bit of the language. So you're a little bit ahead than the children <laughs> so far. Yeah, you, you only ha- you only have to be like one lesson ahead. Uh, oh, really? and, uh, it works out fine. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know I'm married to um, the man I'm married to? He he is a linguist, and we've tried to learn many languages together, and he always gets it straight away. And I've got this Australian accent, and honestly, there are some words I can never get my t- I can never get my um, tongue around I just can't say them so it's quite funny so he will be saying them really quickly and I'll be thinking how did you get that like the when you know when you learn Chinese you've got the tones and the inclination Mm -hmm. and stuff and sometimes I think no that all sounds the same and he has to takes a long time for me to hear the actual changing in the she 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 and all of Mm -hmm. the languages so I'm I very much would love to be a linguist so not not my expertise at this time there's nothing, you know, you're talking about structured learning, you're talking about unstructured learning. How do you bridge the gap? How do you bridge this gap between step-by-step instruction and unstructured learning? I, yeah, I, I think you have to remove one of the pieces uh, to, to the process uh, uh, one at a time. So if you have a, a framework or if you have a structured way of doing things, you start removing those things. Uh, so in the case of a story, you know, a story can come to life in many different ways, usually through audio and visual. You remove the visual piece of it, uh, you put that burden on the child and you have them come together with the other piece of it. So like with the content, Tony, that's listening to a story. Well, then you take out the audio and you have a blank Tony. And then you're saying you have to, you know, do the the audio and the video. Maybe you're acting it out. Maybe it's a play. Uh, Maybe, you know, you're drawing a picture. So uh, I think just uh, guiding somebody into an independent, you know, authorship is is what you want to do to promote that. Can you see this working on the, like, a big, look at bigger picture. You know, you like the bigger picture. Can you see this working within the system that we have in the education system that we have? Say the, the I don't know, what do you call it? Do you call it the county or the government education system? Mm-hmm, like, the, mm-hmm. Could it work, you know, doing more of an unstructured learning in a, you know, fir- first grade or second grade classroom? Yeah. I think it's a theoretical exercise. I think uh, hypothetically you can. Uh, I think you can on small scales. I I think the bigger the scale, the harder it is to do. And the reason why is that people are too focused on the results. And when you're always trying to get a a result, you know, whether that's test score or some sort of uh, aptitude assessment, like whenever you have to do that and, and you have to do that as a public institution, that's what hinders, I think, just letting go of the result and letting go of the process. If we actually trusted our kids and if we actually trusted our institutions, to teach creativity and to teach kids to learn to be independent, I think we would see that we would make strides in that area. Absolutely. There is, I think there's a McKinsey, one of the big firms did a study and they say something around about 50% of the jobs by, I don't know, 2040 won't be available that there are here now. So that we do need to teach our children in another way, otherwise they will miss out. So which is coming back to your creativity and looking, you know, as you're saying, trust the system and where it will go. So let's maybe, you know, COVID has thrown that, that I don't know, what do you call it, like a bomb in the system that maybe it needs or 
to change. Let's hope that it will change a little bit anyway. But if you had a magic power, yeah. any magic power to revolutionise the current early year system, what would you, the three things you would do? Oh, that's a that's a hefty <laughs> question. Uh, and again, I I have to disclaim that you know I'm not an expert. I am not. No, uh, as a dad, seen all the research. As yeah. a dad. You know, I think that um, we get in our kids' way a lot more than we want to admit. And whether that's, uh, you know, it's all good intended, but I think we teach our kids a lot of things of how to do things wrong. And maybe it's because we were taught. And like, maybe this is just like, you know, how habits are formed and how systems are put in place. And so we need people who are willing to test the system and to call out some of the things that, you know, aren't really working and some of the, the bad habits that we're teaching our kids. So did I get to three? Uh, I say, you know, calling out, <laughs> calling out, you know, the status quo. Yeah. You know, if there's something that's not working, let's call it out. Maybe it'll be forced upon us like COVID, like a lot of things were forced upon us. And, and I think we have to, what was the second thing? You said allowing, um, them, to play, allowing them to play, yeah. allowing them to do their own thing and figure things out. So we give them, yeah, allow them the unstructured time. Yeah, try to give them objective tools, teach them a framework of how to tell a story or teach them a framework of, of how to approach a problem. Don't give the answer to the problem. And the more that we can teach that, the more we'll uh, train them to have better habits and they'll be more independent and they'll be more objective. Uh, and I think that's uh, really important in kind of changing the status quo. Drew, one last question. What was your favorite toy as a child? Do you remember? Uh, so my, uh, I still have it actually. I just packed it up. I uh, was uh, moving across the country this year, but uh, I came across a stuffed animal called uh, Duh. D-U-H. Um, and I've never forgotten that. And I, I probably named him when I was like two years old, because it was probably the only word that I could say. But uh, <laughs> duh is, is a wuzzle. It had a Saturday morning cartoon very briefly. Uh, He's a half, a half rhinoceros and a half uh, monkey. Oh. Um, and, and he's pink. Uh, and I just used to watch, uh, the wuzzles with him and somehow he made it in a box that, you know, 35 years later, uh, I, I still have. So, have, so that was kind of my, fir my first friend. Have your children tried to use it or take it? Is there a little bit of a, no, that you can't let go yet? <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, uh, I kept it up in my, uh, in my closet because, you know, my youngest daughter wanted to play with it and I, I had a little bit too much, uh, separation anxiety so uh, <laughs> that was a that was a no for me uh, in terms of letting her play with it <laughs> I think that's probably a good idea I think I remember myself and my twin brother my mother gave us her doll she had a thing with dolls she loved dolls when she was little and we managed to cut I think her name was Annabelle we cut Annabelle's hair in the bath we've never been we were never allowed to play with any of her dolls again <laughs> so I think that probably wasn't the right thing to do so maybe you keep Zara away at the moment <laughs> until they're older <laughs> yeah, how can perhaps. our listeners our parents you know teachers how can they hear more about tony's or even get in touch with yourself or someone from the brand yeah sure um so uh anyone is welcome to to reach out to us uh hello at tonys.com it's t-o-n-i-e-s.com or uh, 877 my tonys uh, is our, our customer line tonys.com uh, is a great place to go uh, to see what we're up to uh, we do have a tonys for teachers program that offers uh, exclusive discounts for educators and then the kind of the, my favorite thing to to kind of plug is our uh, fan community so on facebook we've got one called 
Tony Box USA. We also have a Tony's for Teachers USA. And this isn't run by me or the company. This is just a community of parents, uh, or in the case of the teachers, they are really just sharing, you know, best practices and new and creative ways to, to use Tony's. Oh, what an amazing thing. Thank you so much for joining us today, Drew. I love the content-based Tonys with all of what you can use for the younger years. And then as they get older, you can still, as you said, you did a treasure hunt with your Tonys across the across the house, you know, for entertainment, but also that they can become authors and they can performers and they can use their imagination. You're talking about taking that medium, or, well, no, you don't talk about medium, taking that away as the visual, mm-hmm. visualize, they can visualize it as self. Like when you read an amazing book and you're visualizing exactly what's happening. I think that's such an important thing for early, early years development and also for our older years. As you know, so they say the modern child is getting stuck to generate ideas. So it can sort of ignite that power. So thank you so much, Drew. It's been amazing to have you on today. Yes, thanks. You. Thank you. It's been great. There are so many exciting developments happening right now in education. EDX Education would love to hear from you, so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, and so many more. This podcast series is brought to you by Heather Welch from EDX Education, as she'd like to say, let's create lifelong learners. 